0: These are the tools of meditation. Uh, you have to use them now, or you don't. You can forget all about them if you want. But if you're here, you might as well try to use them. And uh, <laughs> notice that the emphasis is, uh, is like. Like mindfulness is the is the very is given uh, the the lead in in all Buddhist meditation. They call it mindfulness passed to the deathless. And in the Dhammapada, there's this beautiful verse that I like to quote, and it goes, "Upa, uh, no, Amatapadang. And Apamado means, ah. Uh, Heedfulness, paying attention, or mindfulness, appamado is the way to the deathless. Amata means deathless, deathless way. Amatapada. So I mean, that's they contemplate that the deathless mindfulness path, the way to the deathless uh, mindfulness, is being able to pay attention or pure. In Gatte Gati Paragati Parasangati Bodhiswaha, the Art Sutra mantra, where pure presence is transcending, ever transcending, and this is where uh, reiterating this over and over, this this that, that this attentiveness to life, paying attention, awakened awareness, mindfulness is the is where you. Realize the death because until you realize that then your all your identities are with death do you realize that you know you, all you're, you're, if you're identified with your body what's it going to do live forever some people would like you know to have immor- physical immortality taking uh, Kind of din uh, thing, and <laughs> how long you keep it going? Personally, yeah. uh, it doesn't attract me at all. Keeping this thing going forever sounds like it would be dreadful. Uh, but if you're identified with this is what you think you are, then then you're you're identified with death. If you're identified with uh, Your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, your memories—they're all death-bound. They're all end things that change and end, arise and cease all the time. I mean, your 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 identity out of ignorance is with what is what is dead or dying. So, So then they. But then mindfulness is the way to the deathless. So it's like paying attention. You you can see so much of one's life, one is really quite deadened. You can just kind of drift by in a dead way. Put no effort. Take no interest. Just kind of go along with this. Go and get up in the morning and drag around, do this, do that. And uh, maybe the sexual desire gives you a bit of kind of oomph in life, and then that stops after a while, and then you get, get a little, you go, have something nice to eat, but then you get tired of eating, and, so you know, life is just a, maybe just a, a kind of experience of just trying to kind of make it interesting. But your, your aim is always towards, is trying to get stimulated or awakened by external things. Like saying, interest me. I want you to to entertain me. I want you to say interesting thing. Let's have an interesting conversation. And if and if you say boring things, I think I'll go because the boredom just puts me to sleep. And, and where where I, if you say things interesting, then I kind of get. I can feel stimulated, uh, interested. Feel like I'm somebody again but notice that, the, that everything's coming from outside you know the the television the the people the the thrills riding in the fast car the drugs the drink the sex all of it is is you you're taking things to stimulate the mind and so you're They're very dependent. Then to get stimulated to feel alive, you've got to always have something out there going into you, and you know, waking you up or stimulating you in some way. And when it's not there, then you just one sinks into depression or boredom, kind of a death-like state. So then, notice in meditation, what we're doing is we're not meditation is, is, in terms of worldly values, is boring, isn't it? The breath, and you know, all is it more boring than watching your breath, looking at your body sitting for an hour. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, the sound of smiling. You know. Compared to um, reggae or something like that. <laughs> But in order to notice that, or the, the neutral feelings of your clothes touching your skin. Boring sensation, isn't it? But what you're doing is that you're, you're paying attention. You're, you're developing the effort. It's coming from within you. It's not, you're not getting kind of stimulated by this. If you wanted stimulation, you wouldn't come here. You'd go, you know, into London. London's a very stimulating place. You know, interesting, fascinating, uh, exciting things happen in London. but uh, so most people go to London <laughs> rather than come here. But, they, uh, but those of you who have done souls like yourself come here. And, the <laughs> and this is, but notice that the practice is, is this developing, this, this attentiveness. In the, in the moment. So we're not here to have kind of entertaining uh, time and, and be stimulated or, or inspired or uplifted, but to, to, to develop, to practice this way in which you, you, you realize that you can do it, you see how you can do it, how you can uh, pay attention to your life. You don't need things stimulating you all the time. You don't need, you're not dependent on interesting things or good health or fascinating friends or successful, uh, pleasant activities or whatever. For your happiness, you can find, you can use whatever you have to experience in life You can at least pay attention to it, even if it, no matter how unpleasant it is, you can still accept it. Like those so like metta, this metta practice, translated usually as loving kindness. So you know, loving and kind, or loving is a word that is used for so many things. But in this way, it means more like unconditioned love. It's not, it has no conditions on it. I love you if if you uh, treat me nice, kind of. That's conditioned love, isn't it? I'll love you if you love me. If you don't love me, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> and I love you only when you do what I like. When you don't do what I like, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> or, uh, if you get sick or if you, if if whatever things get unpleasant I don't like them anymore I don't love them but the metta is unconditioned love is is, uh, is as I said it was not making deals or preferring or liking but accepting and this this is very important as a religious experience to be able to accept the totality of everything everything is Belongs in the total, in the totality. Everything. Absolutely everything you can think of belongs. The devil belongs. All the bad things belong. All the good things. All the neutral things. Even pollution and um, plastic belong. So everything belongs, and there's nothing that doesn't belong. And this is just so in, in terms of of totality. You see, metta is 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 bringing into consciousness, It's a way of, of recognizing totality, and which includes the all the conditions, uh, which is not you know. Where, where, say, critical mind divides everything up. Your critical mind, your discriminative mind, says that the good is this way and the bad is that way. We should get the good, get rid of the bad. Uh, the, the logic that comes from that dualistic thinking, then, is kill the devil, get rid of the bad, hold on to the good. And so we're always resisting, like... Uh, we're always struggling with the bad, because we have, we, you know, we all have bad thoughts. Or in times we have, we feel anger, or we have jealousy, or fear, things like this, so that we're struggling with it, trying to get rid of it. But with metta, then we're, we're not trying to get rid of it anymore. It goes on its own, things that arise cease. So you're allowing things to be what they are. You're not condemning them. So it is this, so in, with metta, is, it's being patient with what, especially with, uh, you don't need patience with pleasure and happiness and beauty, but with what you don't like and don't want, but both internally and externally. I found this very helpful in, in reflecting on things because there's a lot, a lot in this world and in my experience of life that I don't like and I don't want it. So, because of this, and, and, and I can feel very, and I can get into kind of a self-righteous phase. Like somebody with religious people, it's easy to get self-righteous because you're you know because you're uh, you're dealing with uh, uh, morality and and religious uh and the kind of loyalty to a religious path and and to truth and all the kind of very altruistic things and uh, marvelous kind of ideas and and being a monk you're you're you know you're celibate and you're an alms mendicant you're very moral and you're very You've, you've dedicated your life to religious uh, realization, spiritual realization. So all these things that you know can be seen in terms of very inspiring. But also, if you attach any of these things, then you you become um, kind of hypocritical. You are you you you're full of your own kind of I'm superiority. You you look down on people. Who aren't who aren't so strict, or who who haven't dedicated their lives to a spiritual development like I have? You kind of they're not quite as good as I am, and, or you celibate. You think anyone that has sex is you know slightly tainted because you, know, <laughs> you don't you don't do those things, and you can get supercilious by being so good and so pure and so moral. But that's, there's no meta there either, is there? It's just that one is one is attaching to virtuousness and purity and with this, with this ignorant sense of yourself. And so it, what it does is it makes you a, a unbearable prig, a religious hypocrite or bigot. There's plenty of those in any religion. Oh, and, and then if you can, then you can get very on your high horse, you know, and want to uh, kill the heretics, or excommunicate, or throw people out of the sangha. We had a meeting uh, last week with a senior monk, there was a monk in Thailand, uh, a certain monk, not a Thai monk, but he's, this monk is a real troublemaker, causes endless problems and trouble. Wherever he goes, he's a troublemaker. Uh, and I could see there's that there's a movement to try to let's kick this guy out of the sangha. I can understand. I feel the same. Way. I like to kick him out of the sangha. It the emotional part, you know. The, but I don't trust that. I don't. I know where that's coming from, you know. And, and so I don't. I don't. I don't follow that. Thing in me that says we've got to get rid of this guy. I don't. I don't believe it. I mean, I can feel such an emotion, but I'm not. But I'm. I've studied it, and I know that it's coming from ignorance and fear and uh, uh, self-importance and so forth. So I don't. I wouldn't want to act on such a such a feeling. But I can have meta for that feeling metta for my own silly emotions, or as well as metta for the the monk that everyone wants to kick out. The, which means you're not appro. It doesn't mean you you approve, or you're you, you don't you're 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 learning how to be patient with. And and have an an attitude of accepting that the total, the totality, the devils, the demons, the victims, the victimizers, the good and the bad, everything. So metta has it's it's like it's it's it, everything belongs. And and that way you it changes your attitude because a lot of times we think this shouldn't be happening. What's happened in like Bosnia? is We think it shouldn't be happening. They shouldn't be doing that, killing each other, raping the women, uh, torturing people. They shouldn't be doing that. Or in Sri Lanka now, there 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 there's this war that's been going on for the past decade between the. Sinhalese and the Tamils, and Buddhists shouldn't be doing things like that. Sri Lanka is a Buddhist country, it shouldn't, they shouldn't be acting like that. But yet, in terms of metta, then we have metta for, 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 for the whole thing. I mean, because it, the, this, is, this is what's happening, both the, the bad and the good, the right and the wrong. The victim, the victimizer, the rapist, the person that raped, and so forth. Where the meta is is non-discriminative, non-preferential. So this is this is a this this is a say a, a way of training the conscious experience to to not be caught in in in, in revengeful thoughts in. And just anger and and endless resentments and and uh, blaming and and frustration and irritation over the way things are in the world. And but it doesn't mean we don't notice either, or we don't do anything. But when we do things out of ignorance and out of aversion, then we tend to do things. You know, we do things that are quite harmful. But if we, if we act with wisdom, mindfulness wisdom, then our actions are more than likely to be of benefit of use to ourselves and others. But also direct that towards yourself, because you you may feel you know like if if you think uh, you think of somebody somebody that's really hurt you badly, and then you you think I never can have metta for that person, never, because they've hurt me too badly. They've done too many. They've said too many hurtful things. They've treated me too badly. I can never ever have metta. I can never just say. I accept this because just the memory of that person brings up such anger and resentment, such bitterness in me. So then have metta for that feeling of bitterness. As it works, you know, if you have metta for your own mood, for your own inability to forgive. So that this metta is just is being patient with your inability to forgive. And as you begin to to uh, have patience and, and acceptance of your own feelings, negative feelings, then it also, you know, expands outward into where we can forgive eventually. We can, if we, once we, we, uh, get at the root of the problem, which is in, in the mind itself. Remember one time a monk was giving a metta retreat and, and he was, uh, every evening they'd, they'd spread metta to their parents. May my mother be well. May my father be well. And one person on this retreat had a great hatred for her mother. So every time mother came into the picture, they may my mother be well, she felt rage. And we think, now think of your mum. May my mother be well. May she be happy, free from all suffering. And then this person, (laughs) I can do it for your mom, but not for mine. (laughs) So then, then she started feeling guilty, and then, you know, I really must be a terrible person. I can't even have met her for my own mother. And then she got very, just hated the retreat and got very upset because uh, she couldn't cope with the anger and the... The the rage that that idea of sending metta to your mother would bring into her mind, and the so then when that happens, then that's a very that's that you know we're not trying to 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 make ourselves do this, not like you have to do this, but you know you have to have this kind of loving kindness towards everything, and, and like you. You you you, you can kind of maybe intellectually do that, but emotionally you you might not feel that way at all. So then, on the emotional level, then have metta for the emotion you're feeling, which is like if if I feel I'll ne- I can't forgive, when they say May my mother be well, I just feel this rage. Then I have metta for this rage, this this resentment and rage. What? that I'm feeling now. What do do you mean by that? Like having metta for this rage that I'm feeling now. I'm not having metta for, for my mother, but I'm having, I'm willing to feel, willing to bear with this rage as it is now. I accept it for what it is right now, this rage in me. While everyone else is spreading loving kindness to their mom, I'm sitting here this incredible rage metta for that See, so you understand what i'm pointing to just, it's a, it's a skillful means to because if you're just trying to have metta for your mom when you don't feel it, you know it's something in you you resents it because emotionally you you know the ideal may be very proper and nice, but emotionally you you may you may want to kill her. And then you can only feel that you're a horrible person for for having such a terrible thought in your mind. But even even that one can have meta for that thought. And you'll find if you if you do this, practice this way, then you will. The you won't be creating this endless resistance, uh, caught between the ideals of what you should be and the emotional problems that you have which are not uh, not like your ideals like we should love everybody as an ideal universal love for all beings is an ideal that's what we should we should be loving and kind for all beings and it's easy to do it in abstracts like it's easy to have loving-kindness for a billion Chinese that are not threatening you right at this moment. It's easy for me to spread Metta right now to China. There's a billion Chinese over there somewhere. One is called Fu Manchu, one is called... (laughs) Don't know any. <laughs> but all that over there, a billion of them, I mean a metaphor. But say one of you is giving me a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> the closer you are, the more difficult it is. <laughs> so so Meta is is. You know the real challenges are with your family, isn't it? Like in a community in the monastery, sister you'll probably agree with me on this. It's really a challenge I've met them for some of these people in this community. <laughs> 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 they're all good people. Not one of them is is bad, or you know anything. You know, not like they're they're bad ones, or but. Um, living community, you're living closely with each other, and you can really irritate each other. So you can just somebody, the way you know, somebody uh, doesn't show up uh, the time when they promise to wash the dishes. You can you can get outraged. You know, not not somebody. Being butchered or tortured, and uh, some terrible thing happening, but there's somebody five minutes late when they should have. One can one can get into a real state of, of how dare you, you know, so un, totally undependable, and mm, you shouldn't. How do you expect to be a live a spiritual life when you're so undependable? <laughs> Go into a rage like that. No, then metta is also having having like a, the, the, a willingness to to bear with even your own kind of foolish uh, selfishness, like in terms of like being a monk. I found it, in Thailand, for example, I was. Uh, they'd read, you know, they have, have these readings sometimes in the morning in Thai, and they'd give you the idea. A monk is a, you know, we, we keep, we're strict with the rules, we're very moral, we, we, we're alms mendicants, we, we're happy with what we get, uh, we, we accept the food with gratitude, the alms food that people give us, we accept that with gratitude, uh, we, we're given a shelter for the night, roof over the head, we're grateful for that, Uh, We're given a robe, and we're we're grateful for that, and medicine for illness, we're grateful for that. Uh, And we're kind, we practice loving kindness to all creatures, and selflessness, harmlessness. It's all very beautiful stuff, isn't it? That's the ideal. Then the realities of daily life in a monastery... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, here you know you say alms food and I'm grateful for the alms food, but I remember just being so ungrateful for the alms food. <laughs> or you know, God didn't expect me to eat this. Stuff. <laughs> you know. Or the or the shelter for the night. And I remember the, 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 when I went to Wat Pa or our John monastery. You know here I'm six foot two man and, and they put me in this tiny little cootie where they kind of <laughs> I couldn't stand up straight and I was always hitting my head on the door frame so they had to bend over and, I, and they did have taller cooties and I, and I got quite indignant wasn't grateful for the shelter for the night was a shelter for the night but, or the uh you know the the uh, the ideals of of what a monk should be, but the pettiness they bring up all this immaturity. And kind of really in the monastic life at first, the first few years, it bring up just uh, a lot of, of immature emotions. I'd feel really, really kind of annoyed over this, or wasn't going to do that, and I fell <coughs> against this, didn't like that, and and uh, went on, I, and you know really had so much negativity it wasn't this this wonderful alms mendicant that was just sitting there thank you (laughs) 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 but it's through having metta for all of that that it's like developing I mean, when, the problem was that I tend to think I shouldn't be like that. I'd have these. I feel jealous, and I feel I shouldn't be jealous. A monk, a good monk, wouldn't be jealous. He'd be happy. He'd have mudita. If you got a nicer <coughs> dwelling than I than I have, you came, say, Ven. New monk in the monastery. They give him a nicer place to live in than I have. And I should be filled with mudita for that. I should think, "Oh, I'm so happy for him that he got the that he got such a nice dwelling that's so much nicer than mine is <laughs> that's would be that's the ideal but but i- w- I wouldn't feel like that if, you know how come they gave him that he, i'm I've been here longer and he they and then I'd feel guilty about that. I feel I shouldn't, I should, I should be glad. I shouldn't be jealous or resentful. <coughs> so there'd always be this resistance, you know, like you'd feel one way. You'd feel the jealousy or envy or resentment and then you'd, then immediately you say, I shouldn't feel that way. So it gets complicated. You not only have got, the emotion, but then you've got this aversion to the emotion, and this kind of thing in you that says you shouldn't have that, such an emotion. A good monk shouldn't have those kind of emotions. So there's this kind of tyrannical thing inside, it's always saying you shouldn't have these things. You're a bad person for being jealous or thinking like that. So contemplate there's, there's, there's this. Actually, the, I began to see that so much of the problems really were not with jealousy, but with aversion to it. Uh, this thing in me that hated jealousy in myself, that hated myself for feeling that emotion, that, that hated myself for having immature emotional reactions, that hated myself for... For not being uh, what what I thought I should be, so there is a lot of this self uh, this aver- self aversion, hatred, self hatred, always judging and saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like that, you shouldn't feel like that, you shouldn't think like that. So then the metta practice also for that metta for all the all of it, the whole the whole lot. That ty- the inner tyrants, the emotions, which is 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 a willingness to be with them, let them be what they are, and then they they cease, like the the the, the dharma law, law of dharma. What what arises ceases. So you're in the in mindfulness, then you're 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 accepting the totality, whatever it is, because the mind is like it. The mind is so vast that it can accept everything, everything, the totality. So it's like embracing the totality, then the, but, the, but everything is a changing and the conditions are always changing. So when you're letting things, when you're, when you're accepting things for what they are, then they, their nature's to cease and you're not making them go away. You're letting them do what they're supposed to do what arises ceases that's a very skillful way of of uh letting go not making karmic uh, more bad karma with the uh, with your emotional habits Isn't it? not because like karma is the uh, love karma is the, if you touch you know if you follow this emotion you make karma if you resist this emotion you make karma So you always you know if you if you if, if you feel the emotion of jealousy arises and you follow it you're making karma and if you resist it you're making karma but if you're accepting it recognize letting it be what it is actually willing to feel it be with it for what it is. Because it's here and now, it's just this way. You're not making any karma with it. You're just, you're, you're just letting it be. And then it's imp- because it has arisen then it will eventually cease. So it ceases. So you're letting things <coughs> cease according to their nature. So that's metta. So, like, we're not trying to ask you to, to, to adopt a role, and uh, you know, to to intimidate you and tell you what you should be, and then and then make you feel terrible because you you don't think you could ever live up to such a high standard, high level of virtue, but in but uh, giving you the the. The encouragement to to be able to work with even the most awful habits or terrible thoughts or emotional uh, problems. Then the. Then the uh, sound of silence is another skillful means that I really enjoy using. And I don't know, some people might not recognize it or might not hear it, but those of you who do, it's very, very helpful. And it's like like space in the room, or it's like, I found the sense of listening very meaningful to me. because I, 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 I like to listen to my own, to my mind. Like I did this years ago in Thailand. I just listened to the things going on inside my mind. So I would, uh, I'd be having bad thoughts in my mind and I'd listen to them. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd take the position of someone listening to this thing going on inside me. The inner child, or whatever—what are the modern terms for it? Listen to this screaming thing, or this tyrant, or this this kind of hardline, self-righteous prig, or this uh, self-pitying slob, or whatever. I'd I'd listen. I could just uh, you know, listening to yourself thinking is. Uh, is a, is a good practice. But then I'd notice that behind these emotions and thoughts there's this so, this, this ringing sound, this reverberating silence, so I'm more and more I'd, I'd tune into the silence and I'd begin to I wouldn't be just endlessly going around with the with the thoughts or the emotions. So you're like you're, you're really seeing between the, The things between, I mean the spaces between, or the silence between sounds, or the spaces between thoughts. Because when I first started meditating, I didn't think I could ever stop thinking. I was an obsessed thinker. Think, 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 think. And I remember, you know, trying to practice meditation. Uh, even when I was a layman living in Bangkok, and go to the monastery and sit there. and They say, watch your breath. Think, 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 think. watch should watch my breath. Am I watching my breath? They say, if you get some concentration, you'll see. It, you'll have a little sign that will come to you. A special sign. I don't see any bloody sign. <laughs> <laughs> And you keep thinking, I'm doing something wrong, no signs coming to me. <laughs> and then one time, I remember, it was my third meditation lesson at Wat Mahat. I went, I went there and I, and the uh, third time, and I sat down in this place where they, they let me practice and I sat down and somebody slammed a door and the door slammed, I heard this slam, and then my mind went into this state of bliss. And suddenly I was just... And I stopped thinking, and my mind was just in this incredibly blissful state. It just so wonderful. I thought, I three lessons, and I'm enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be this easy. <laughs> and so the next day, I... I, uh, I was looking forward to doing this again, and I came <laughs> back, and nobody slammed the door. Maybe that was the <laughs> problem. And anyway, I kept trying to to get this state of bliss, and I just couldn't. You know, uh, uh, do, uh, what do you do? Do somebody have to slam a door to get it, or you know, try to figure it out, analyze it, or and then you you desperately trying to remember because anything that pleasant. You're going to remember, and you'll you want it again. And, you know, pleasure is addictive. So, then this is why the Buddha points to dukkha all the time—the first noble truth—because it's something we we tend to want to run away from or get rid of: dismiss, ignore, get rid of, deny. So instead of doing that, we go to it like the so wanting wanting that blissful state that I remembered wanting it, and then I put that in the context of dukkha, wanting something that I don't have is dukkha wanting to have more happiness like I remembered having the previous day that wanting is dukkha so you're going, and that dukkha is to be understood, so you you're going to that's the acceptance or the metta a way of having accepting the suffering or the, the misery or the problem that you're experiencing in the present. Also in with emotional problems we one thing in a community life, you can say um, we shouldn't be selfish, and you can really intimidate people by saying they're selfish, especially in a community like this, when everybody's trying not to be selfish, so somebody would you do this, and they say, no they say, you're selfish <laughs> so, so you <laughs> Uh, is it, uh, most people, we don't want to be selfish. It's not, it's not a nice thing. I don't know anybody in the community that that admires selfishness. But selfishness, you need to understand it. The, I mean, you, you know, ideally, we'd, we'd like to not have it. That's an ideal, not be selfish. But what is selfishness? And so then you 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 know when you begin to examine or look at and to be able to really look at your own selfishness, you have to accept it, otherwise you're just saying oh, i shouldn't be selfish you have a selfish thought, and then you i shouldn't be selfish you're always kind of fighting with yourself. ideally up here you you you're very grand emotionally you're you're stuck with selfish with this with this Tension between the ideal and and what you're actually, what emotional state you're in. So with the metta, you're you're having metta for the ideal. That's beautiful. Ideal not being selfish is beautiful, lovely ideal, but it's an ideal. Remember, an ideal is is high and it and it's beautiful. But ideals are not emotions. You don't have ideal emotions. Ideals are, you know, static things. They're, they're like, you know, they're the best. They're, but, they but most of our life is, is on the level of feeling and, uh, and emotional experience. And that's, that's not ideal. It's not what should be, but it is what is. So the ideal is, is like a guiding star. You know, you have the idea of not being selfish. It's like a direction. That's a, something to to respect, and it's like a, a guiding star. It's high up and something to keep your direction, keep you going in the right direction. you also, but you need to know where you are. You fall in, or fall over the cliff mean terrible will happen to you if you if you're always looking up at the sky, you'll trip over the log <laughs> 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 you, you need to keep the direction, so you have to cope with the realities of of any moment, which are not ideal. They are what they are. So in this this way of reflecting upon the way it is, what I'm trying to do this evening is uh, to to uh to just review the the teaching given so far the the direction of paying attention to the body to the breath to the mood you're in like the the, the mental state you're in right now just, what is it like? And and having that, would, even if it's terrible, then have metta for that mood, accepting the mood for what it is. It doesn't mean to follow the mood or to, or to suppress it, but to just recognize it this way and by that acceptance, that patient non-judgment of it, then it solves itself. You're not making any karma with that mood. So then the attitude of metta, and then the 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 reckon, the, the sound of silence, as a, or this sense of listening, so that you're. These are always of paying attention to the present moment, you know, being here, and it's all very immediate. It's not like do this in order to get that result, but it is what it is in the present. The result is all, you know, is, is is the is the present experience. Because more and more as you develop mindfulness awareness. Then, then that is your refuge, and the the other, the, and you see more and more the the changing conditions in terms of just experience that's happening, rather than being caught into the liking, disliking attachments to it all. Any questions? one-day awakens? Is that the critical mind or the Buddha mind? Well, they, <laughs> the, the Buddha is, I mean, that's the that's ability to reflect and to know things as they are. So the, the Buddha is, is, a, is, is the one who knows things as they are. And then the, the critical mind is usually based on On uh, cultural values and and uh, feelings, and it deals with the world, you know, about this being better than that, and and uh, this person is good, this person is bad. I mean, the critical mind uh, is is a good thing. It's not like it's something we shouldn't we shouldn't be critical. But we tend to be critical out of ignorance, not out of wisdom, so that oftentimes the criticism get you know get, we get very judgmental, like, like uh, if something's bad, then we should get rid of it or kill it, destroy it. If something's good, we, we want to hold on to it, keep it for myself. So, so, but in, but then the Buddha mind the Buddha is the ability to see that, to see the wanting to hold on to the good, wanting to get rid of the bad. So the Buddha is, is, is a transcending, transcending the critical uh, conditioning of the mind. Seeing it in terms of, of you know, like the Buddha knows that what is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. or uh, recognizes the the, the the suffering involved with attachment, or the realizes the peace of non-attachment. So, in terms of like what we call the Four Noble Truths, then we the the, the Buddha is uh, that's our kind of reference for for uh, recognizing suffering and uh, the experience of suffering and then the uh, to to understand suffering to let go of the causes of suffering to not attach to the conditions and then to develop the path or the eightfold path and so this is this is what buddha's know what arahants or perfectly enlightened human beings know and, and this, is, this is Buddhist uh, terminology, yeah. but I mean it. it uh, the uh, the Arahant or the the name of the kind of the perfected human being. And Arahants know the Four Noble Truths. They might not know um, how to use a computer or anything. Or, or drive a car. It might not be clever like most of you, but, <laughs> but they know suffering, its cause, the cessation and the path. The hum, I mean, the Buddha knowledge is, is humbling. It's not like being God where I know everything and I'm the authority and I'm... And I'm just, you know, I I know everything. I've created everything. I know everything, uh, everything about everything. But, uh, you know, in the terms of, in terms of our experience of of Buddha as a refuge, it's it's not in knowing everything about everything like God does, but in knowing the way things are, in terms of our own experience of them. But. In that reference of Dhamma, rather than in terms of personal uh, conditioning, like all that arises ceases, is a is a, universe, is a is a natural law, very basic pattern. There's nothing that, that arises and just keeps arising. Uh, so everything that is born dies. Everything that arises, reach well, it rises up, it reaches a peak, like your breath, you inhale. Why don't you just keep inhaling? Try so hard, it reaches a point where you can't even force it. You have to stop there, and then the exhale. <laughs> I mean, the, what arises ceases, and that that, that applies, with that the way of I'm looking, well that applies to good and bad, to demons and to angels and to it can be you can see it in the universe, the universal uh, expansion and contraction. but what you can but it's, we can't really see that, know that in a direct way. It's too big, too macrocosmic for us. so, so we have to use this you know the, the the comings and goings of your own thoughts or feelings. But you're studying the pattern. The pattern itself. You're not. It doesn't matter whether it's, univ- you know, like expansion of universal systems or just the comings and goings of your own emotions. The 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 ref- you're you're learning from from what you can actually observe in the present. Not not you're not kind of trying to know something about something that you can't really know in any direct way. But you can also extrapolate from, from that, that, that all conditions follow this pattern. So it doesn't matter whether it's just uh, an itch in your body or a foolish uh, emotion that you're having or uh, a universal system expanding and contracting Maybe the time elements are different, but the pattern is exactly the same. So you're, you know, whether it's millions of eons or, or or, or a minute, it's uh, that we're not, we're not uh, quibbling about the time, but about we're noticing the pattern. What is subject to arising is subject to ceasing. So this is why we can always, and in the cessation of things, when, like to notice when, when things cease in you. That's why it is important. Like when anger arises, so you feel this anger arising. Immediately, you know, if you're meditating, then you can, you're you're aware that this anger has arisen. You're feeling this sense of being angry right now so by going to that anger that feeling and, and accepting that feeling then you then it will you you also be aware of its cessation because the anger is impermanent and then you you'll be you'll be aware of the absence of anger so i mean you you're in in your experience of life as a human entity as a human individual you can you can observe the way things are in terms of your own individual experience, the presence of something and it, and when it's absent, because your your that mindfulness is a, is equally aware of the present. Also, it can be aware of the absence of it. So that, but say in worldly life, we don't tend to notice the. The space or the absence of the silence, which are so, you know, the more kind of heedless you are, you're always going from one thing to another. You know, like an, an, an addict of some sort is always just going on to the next hit, or you've got to have, you know, you get addicted to television or <clears throat> food, or you're always having I mean, to do something, uh, have something happening to you. Uh, to feel alive. And so those spaces where where there's nothing happening or where there's blank, one just feels very ill at ease and bored or or threatened by it. So we go on to the next thing, run around, or maybe we just go to sleep, you know, try to just pass out into oblivion for a while because we're we're too tired out trying to be entertained or be stimulated. But then with, with, uh, with meditation, you're, you're giving it, paying attention to the process that's taking place. The presence, like an emotion, whatever emotion you're having, you, you're suddenly lo- looking at it, you're, you're recognizing it feels like this. Is not you're not judging it anymore. Saying I shouldn't feel like this. It Feels like this. Like anger feels like this. And then when it's gone, it ceases. You sustain on that feeling or that mood, holding your you're kind of accepting it, embracing it, and letting it be, feeling it, willing to feel it. And then it drops. It ceases and then make a special note of its absence like that anger is gone. Don't feel angry anymore. So that your, 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 uh, your consciousness, is, you're informing consciousness about both the presence and the absence of condition. So then you're aware, more and more aware of the deathless or the unconditioned <coughs> or that which isn't born and doesn't die, which is here and now, but which we, we may, you can't, you can't find it as an object. You can realize it through mindfulness. It's like you know, we're trying to prove the existence of God. Isn't it? It's like, it's like, you know, who am I to go around saying there is or isn't? You know, when you think of it, am I, you know, am I <laughs> the authority on whether there is or isn't God? and so people want you know they want proof what is the deathless anyway prove it and so then you you know you can't can't, how can you prove it you can't say you know it's 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 purple (laughs) something like that it's oval shaped and purple but it not like something you can you can define, but something you will, real, It's reality. So I mean, it, recognize that we're very much right now. We're very much, uh, you know, the experience is 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 a very strong one of your body and consciousness, and these are death-bound conditions. I mean, just when you, you contemplate your own existential experience, you know, it being a but being born as a human being, you've got to put up with a lifetime of this, this heavy thing, and its aging and its sensitivity, you know, and it's all changing conditions and it's death bound. So this is a very strong experience, being, having human body and being conscious. Of being, it's a very strong and very powerful, very absorbing, very deluding experience. But then then it would be hopeless if there was no way out of it, if we were just, if all we are are just conditioned creatures, then we'd have no way of reflecting on it. We'd just, you know, you'd just be programmed to do this and think like procreate the species and die and then keep it all going on a kind of mechanical basis. operates like this, and there's nothing more to it than that. Just some kind of you know, mechanical procedures that take place. But notice in in, in in our in this human state we I mean we have we can have the same kind of animal instincts as, as a cat or a dog, you know, hunger, procreation of the species, these are all as much a part of our life as as, as the animal kingdom, and we, uh, we, you know, when it comes to survival and all things like this, but we also have this sense of the divine, don't we? We aspire. Something in us is, is, uh, isn't, isn't, we can't just be content with procreating the species, eating, surviving and dying that's not enough for us. To just, you know, we, 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 we wonder about the meaning of life and what, what happens after death, things like this. Why do we do that? Where animals I mean I don't know what animals think but they don't seem to you know worry about what happens when they die Maybe they do, I don't know. But they, have, they don't kind of write it down anyway, <laughs> like we do. And so then, they, then also in this state we're in, because of the, the power and the pressure and the frustration and irritation of, this, of birth in a human form, till it dies, it gives us a lot of suffering, where, oh, you know, this dukkha is a very common experience to all of us, every human being, because we're born, and we're we always in this state of of some, being irritated by something, of having to survive, having to, it's either too hot or too cold, or too, we sit too long, or walk too much, or you're always getting tired, you have to rest, you have to eat, you have to... Bathe, have to sleep, have to get sick and get the flu, get a cold, toothache, and all goes on. You know the whole history of human lifetime, of the of this the basic irritations, not to mention all the special ones. So then the then the the only and so this is obviously. A state that isn't—we're not meant to find a, a permanent, abiding place in this state we're in. We're not meant to to have permanent homes and have eternal uh, bodies, immortal human bodies, and things like that. That's not—not—it's ridiculous because we don't, you know, in terms of we don't really belong here. This is a trend transitory experience that we're all involved in, or everyone's involved in. And so that we, and then the way to understand it is through this mindfulness. It's the only way we can understand it. By accepting it, by noticing, by paying attention to it, rather than analyzing it in 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 terms of its values and its qualities. Because like the critical mind will see it in terms of what should be and what shouldn't be. Like we can, like a utopian society is what should be. And then we, we can create a, an image of a utopian society where everybody is equal and everything is fair. There's no unfairness and everybody is respected, completely democratic. There's no corruption. People are moral, honest, dependable, trustworthy, uh, good, and they're all good-looking. It wouldn't be fair, would it, to have a utopian society with some people good-looking and some people not? I mean we can you know the idea of, a, of a, a the ideal society we can we can create with a mind we can imagine the very best and then put all the best together and say that's how it should be, but remember that's like the taking the peak moments of everything and saying that's how it, something should be all the time, but society' like this i mean it's it's full of just injustice unfairness inequalities <laughs> problems stupidities as well as the other I mean there's a lot of good things in that I mean then peak moments and and uh, harm- harmonious experiences and and great success but there's also a lot of the other too failures and disharmony and so forth and but mindfulness allows us to see the flow the, the changing flux of this it doesn't you not, you're not comparing the present moment with with the, the existing experience right now with a utopian ideal so you you're more prepared to to uh, accept the deal with life as as you as a, as you're, as you're experiencing it. And which may be that it, it can be, you know, it can be totally unfair and miserable. But you can also deal with that wisely if you have this, this kind of understanding. It is not. Yeah.
1: You were speaking that if you act from mindfulness, you do not create karma. I. I what do you mean?
0: Well, karma. I mean, there's like personal karma. Uh, is what we what we can stop creating in sense of the the kind of karma that comes out of ignorance and uh, and all the illusions of a self. So, in the when we're when we are mindful, then then there's no self. You know, and, and we're using mindfulness and wisdom then there's no self operating but there's still action taking place like one one can do something but one's not doing it from ignorance so that the karmic result isn't is no longer personal result it's no longer mine so, so it might happened? be it might be a good result for the society or even for for me as a as a human entity but it's no longer interpreted in terms of Or one is no longer expecting or demanding uh, rewards or for good actions or anything like that. So, and it's also you find more and more you 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 know like if in in terms of our experience of life we 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 usually come from the sense of I am the body I'm this person. And then we act on those, on those assumptions. So we do, do good things from those. So the, the advice is, is in, with it, you know, for people who are not enlightened is to do good and refrain from doing evil. Kind of basic advice. Do good and refrain from doing evil. And, the, and then, then, the, then purify the mind so the the kind of foundation for karmic action is to do good so that the karma is good and refrain from doing bad things so then but then sometimes we don 't know what is good or bad so we we uh, we might see something like like very narrow minded people you know that see that only you know like seeing foreigners or alien people is bad because they they don't look the same as we do like somebody could see see me as being bad you know they see me as a maybe satanic influence on on the british society because i don't look like an English person, or like a Christian, or like somebody that they can see that they would define as good, So they say well, do, to, we, they should uh, think it's good to get rid of the bad, like burn the witches, things like that is good. But that's not. But it, well, that, that's not true. You know, to burn the witches, maybe the witches are doing bad things, but to to persecute witches is also bad karma. But yet, when there's no wisdom, is there, in that, that attitude. Like trying to kill the devil, destroy evil, uh, and all that. With, with that kind of righteousness, we, we do a lot of harm. Our intention might be good, but the, but the wisdom isn't there to know. So in this this way, like the, the meta, which is accepting and and uh, all the, the totality, good and bad, all possibility, all potential, then everything belongs. So whatever happens, we can accept that. It's no longer. It shouldn't be like this. This is this is this is. The way it is right now and in that patient acceptance then we we uh, we can respond to a situation like if there's something to do we can do that but if there's anything to do with then we don't do it but we're not into the idea that we've got to do something we're not coming from this compulsive thing of having to do good because sometimes not doing anything is what's most useful waiting or biding one's time how many mistakes have you made by kind of wanting to do good and kind of forcing yourself on somebody and and making them hate you I've done that to a lot of people I've got a really good idea and you should be doing (laughs) this And uh, I think, oh, get away from that guy. <laughs> you should all become monks and nuns. That's a good idea, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Shave your hair. <laughs> good idea. The part. But, uh, but not, you know, the time and the place. I was in the public market in Seattle a few years ago. You know that famous market. They have a famous public market in the city of Seattle where I'm from, and they, we were walking through there, and uh, suddenly this—we pass a barber shop. There are about three of us monks. <laughs> the barber starts screaming. <laughs> He says they'll ruin my business. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough time for levity. Now you can go practice mindfulness in the park. <laughs> you know what that is.